loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Mary Lamia, PhD. Mary strives to convey an understanding of emotion through her practice as a clinical psychologist in Marin County, California, and her work as a professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley, California. She's also dedicated to educating the public about the psychology of human behavior by blogging for Psychology Today, Thrive Global, and SciQuire, and providing numerous media interviews and commentary. She's the author of five previous books, including Emotions, Making Sense of Your Feelings, The Upside of Shame, The White Knight Syndrome, and Understanding Myself, A Kid's Guide to Intense Emotions and Strong Feelings. For nearly a decade, she hosted a weekly call-in talk show, Kid Talk with Dr. Mary on Radio Disney stations. And today we'll be talking mostly about her recently released book, Grief Isn't Something to Get Over. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. I'm glad to have you. And of course, I resonate with the title of your book because uh, in my own biggest loss experience, I never tried to get over it. <laughs> I was lucky enough to learn somewhere along the line in a 10-year, a decade of illness, of my wife's illness. No, we don't get over it, right? <laughs> so I, I appreciate the title. But what what uh, led you to, to write, share with the listeners some, what finally got you uh, writing a book specifically about grief? Um the, though you'd written many books about emotions. I didn't really have any intention of, of writing this book, but an acquisitions editor happened to come to me asking if I was interested in writing a book about shame for the public, which I was. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, if I'm going to write one more book, it would probably be a book about grief. And, you know, it just occurred to me that should be the book, even though it, I hadn't intended to write it before then. And so, so it just kind I, of came to your mind in a flash. Did. Yes, in a, in a flash, it did. And so she, I, I gave her the title. I said, if I was going to write another book, it would be a book about grief, titled Grief Isn't Something to Get Over, because I had written a blog post about that. And, and she said, oh, I, I love that. You know, so give me a proposal, which I did. But then we went to the development editor with it later on, and the development editor had had an experience with a relative who had lost her son and who had uh, come to fam every family gathering talking about her son or bringing a birthday card from her son who had died. And, and she said to me, you can't title a book like this and you can't write a book about grief being something you don't get over. People got to get over it like this relative of mine. And she told me that story. And she said it really annoyed her when, when people rattle on about their lost loved ones and, and they don't get over it. And I thought, uh -huh. okay, this is not the publisher for me. Uh -huh. So then I took my proposal to, 
to the another publisher, the American Psychological Association, who uh, seemed to love it, and they published it. That's such a fascinating story because, of course, one thing that really helps in grief, at least it helps in my grief, every week I meet with someone like you, and we talk about our losses, and actually it's a joyful part of my life, right? If I were to forget, obviously I wouldn't do this work if I was trying to, you know, get over my wife. I'm trying to go forward. So that must be crushing for the relative who who feels that people judge her talk naturally talking about her son. Yes, and and, and what I said about that is I think the relative wants someone to listen to her and to hear her pain and to share her pain. And then she can get past it for the moment and you can move on. But if you ignore it or you're, you're antagonistic toward her, her talk about death, the death of her son, which is something people really don't get over, the death of a <laughs> Indeed. child, Indeed. Uh, then it, it'll, it'll never go by. I mean, Actually, the research shows, Cheryl, and, and you're unique and your program is unique in that you embrace talking about grief and loss, whereas the research shows that if somebody goes to a social gathering, for example, if they talk about the loss and they're very sad and depressed, it doesn't seem to sit well with others. If they talk about their loss and, let's say, you made a joke about your wife or or said something that was amusing, then it's okay. In our culture, we don't deal very well with loss and grief and the the sadness that people feel, or the bitter, even the bittersweet memories that people feel. Mm-hmm. It's almost something that's hidden. So, so much of grief in our culture among people are, is, is silent. I know... For the most part, mine was. I lost my mother when I was 11 and my father when I was 21. And then as I was writing the final edits to this book, uh, my husband died. And so they let me hold on to the book long enough to add him to it. But mm. that was sort of sort of shocking. Uh, <laughs> shocking, and, and so, poignant, deep. Uh, you know, every Very word we can so. think of for big, right? To, well, to have those going through that loss at that moment, having just written a book about it and having interviewed many people about their losses and about their grief and having, you know, 44 years of patients tell me about their grief and loss. And then it happens to me as I'm finishing the final edits. So it was it was strange, yes. It was quite uh, sadly ironic. Did you did was, you oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Well I was gonna say I was just gonna add one more thing as so though if that's not enough. But then just a few months later, after that, my older son uh was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And so here he was going through the loss of his father, well, both my sons were, and then has this horrific diagnosis, and, and, which was very difficult for me, uh, and, and started chemotherapy immediately before his surgery. And, and so 
here he was wanting to be with his father and mm-hmm. wanting his father there. And so it, it was really interesting to have him say, um, I, need, I need dad's ashes with me that he needed that bond with his father in whatever form it was. Or he needed little items that belonged to his dad. And and that's what we do when we lose somebody we love so much and need them near. All these little symbolic representations of that person have much greater, much, much greater meaning. You know, mm, yes. I, I went through my own little... Uh, things that I wrote about in the book, like I, the first few weeks after my husband died, I, I kept misplacing things, or I kept finding myself looking for things that were right in front of me, but I would go in other rooms and look for them, but they were right in front of me in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about that in the book, about how our mind tries, our memory tries to prompt us and let us know that something is going on, that we're missing something. But what we're missing is not, you know, our keys or our pen or our glasses. We're we're missing that person. Yes, I, I resonate with that. And also, there's an there's another aspect, of course, is that actually I think the brain has some pretty good instincts that have been kind of unwritten by society about how to do grief, to be way slowed down to not move too much, to, you know, to really pause your life so that you can kind of reinvent what your life looks like. And uh, there are so many things in our culture that interrupt that process, getting right back to work and, you know, the pressures of money and um, uh, relationship pressures. You're supposed to get over it quickly. Um, Do you find that that's that that's a part of it as well? Well, sure, but sometimes distraction can be good because if we immerse ourselves in the grief, um, we also have we also have to look at the rest of our lives. And grief will come up over or or our loss will come up over and over and over again anyway, no matter what we're doing, because that's part of the function of our of our memory. You know, our our memory looks for patterns in our environment that match something there. And it's just part of the way evolution has constructed us. Actually, my book is about memory and how memory and emotions interface with loss in unusual ways. And so I talk about the different kinds of memory and and how memories get activated in our daily lives to remind us of the person we lost. You know, just the, mm-hmm. the littlest thing. You could be passing by a certain store. Or you can see a certain color flower or, or smell a certain smell, a certain scent, or, or taste something, and it could remind you of the loved one you lost. That our memory has a way of doing that. And, and eventually, our memory gets used to not having the person there. But initially, our memory cannot reconcile the fact that the person was there, and we have all these memories related to that person being there, with the presence of their absence, you know, that they're not there. It just can't make sense of it. And that's why we have a lot of symptoms early on during the mourning period where things don't just, 
things don't feel right. Absolutely. And I also find, um, I, I've encountered a number of people who had early childhood loss, as you did, who um, all of their memories of the person, all of the sense of relatedness got shut down because nobody was comfortable talking about it. And there's this kind of empty space where the person could still have been in memory. Uh, I don't know if, if you've experienced that, but we actually have to kind of wake up the memory then. Whereas I find in when I'm working with grownups, it's more about saying, yes, it's perfectly natural that you still feel connected, you know, that that you've got a piece of them inside you, no matter what you think that means. Of course, some people think it means there's an afterlife. Some people think like you, it means there's memory. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations but the person doesn't suddenly disappear either. Well, for ages, uh, papers have been written about whether or not children mourn saying that they do not, that they don't really grieve, which actually I believe is not the case. Um, <laughs> I agree children. with you. Having raised children when I lost right. a partner, I can yes. say for sure I don't agree with that. <laughs> children children do grieve they do are able to mourn except you know the people who tend to be most silent are the children at least in the past now now children are more used to being able to talk about their feelings that it's okay to talk about sad stuff or to get some help for it but in the past you know a lot of children and I was one of them kept their grief to themselves mm. so the assumption that children don't mourn, you know, it just just fed off of that, and it's not true. Um, yeah, the other thing I wonder about, and I'd love your comments on it, is, uh, I, you know, I, I feel as if we do with a loss what we're able to developmentally. And, um, I mean, even for me, having had a big loss as an adult, my perspective on that is different all these years later, right? Um, it, I haven't stopped evolving. And uh, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who go back to their grief. They're able to do more, if that makes sense, than maybe uh, you can as a child. Do you, do you well, find I that to be that, true with your clients? I think children take the static image of the parent with them into their adult life. And we grow, and the parent does not, because the parent is a static image at the time at which they died. However, you know, our mind has a way to to make them grow with us, in a sense. Hmm. We could make inferences about what that parent might have said, or what the parent might have thought, or what the parent advises us to do. We could make them older and wiser, even though they died way back when. So we do take those images with us, and I think they they actually do help us in some ways. For example, um, my mother used to have this saying. Her favorite saying was, I could fix anything except a broken heart. Mm. Now, whether or not that led me to become a psychologist, I don't know for sure, but I <laughs> would gather that it did. <laughs> and I also wanted to mend my father's broken heart. But that 
saying and her the image of her saying it sticks in my mind even to this day all these years later another image that sticks in my mind that that helped me as i grew was watching my father always studying math even though he had an eighth grade education he constantly read math books and studied math trying to to further his education himself and that image of him always stuck in my mind as learning is very important and furthering your education is important and your knowledge. And so I took him with me into mm. my adult life. You know, that static image helped me grow. That's really interesting. I'm Now I'm thinking of my parents, both of, both of whom have died, and uh, how much more important... The things I observed about being a grown-up are to me now, whereas, um, you know, earlier in my life, the the kind of damages that parents inflict on children, those those caught my attention more. Now it's more what their values were, what they believed in, what they um, cultivated in me, all of that. And it that feels related to what you're talking about. Right. As as we grow, I think we have a different perspective on who our parents were, even if they died long ago. Mm. So that's that that is interesting because, you know, when you're 11 years old and your mother dies, you have a limited number of experiences with her and there are no more. Right. But but still, that's a long enough time to have some some things planted that you still recollect that still come back to you. About which we could make inferences or extrapolate. And so I think we we do that when we have that imagery in our mind. And we keep those images with us forever. You know, we can't erase memory. Uh, it would be great if we could erase some things, but we can't. You know, Not without they, giving so, up other things. Right? <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so... You know, it's impossible to get over a loss. I mean, we live with a loss and we adapt to a loss. Um, but, you know, when memories are triggered about a loved one, it it gives us information and gives us memory is there for purpose. Memory is there to provide us with information about our present circumstances and our future. That's mm. the purpose of memory. And if we didn't have it, we would have to learn things over and over again. Over and over again. Tie our shoes. Absolutely. So, I would I would like to take a break and then come back and talk more okay. about that um, because I think that's such an important thing. You know, be in the moment doesn't work entirely. There's the past, the present, and the future, right? So oh, let's yeah. talk some, some more about that when we come back. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Mary Lamia, go to Mary Lamia. It's M-A-R-Y-L-A-M-I-A.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition... Working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. 
That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Mary Lamia about her book, Grief Isn't Something to Get Over. And right before the break, Mary, we were, we were kind of launching into a conversation that we suspended about the way in which we rely on memory. Uh, and, then, and then in grief, there's a, there's a poignant or painful aspect to memory, but also a useful aspect to it in the sense that that's how we learn, that's how we evolve, that's how we go forward. Um, how do you put those two things together for yourself in terms of grief? Our lives and grief and loss. And one aspect of autobiographical memory that I talk about in the book are, are self-defining memories. They're, they're narratives. They're our life story reference point. They're how we define ourselves. And that really impacts us when we lose somebody, especially if how we define ourselves has to do with another person. And you mm. see that a lot in, in, in couples where one Absolutely. partner is lost and, and the partner who is alive says, I've lost part of myself mm. and, or I don't know who I am without my partner. Or they feel as though part of their self-definition is missing. And that is absolutely the case. You do so, lose part of yourself. Right. So even though... It makes up your memories. Right. So even though you're a person who's obviously explored your own psychology, your inner life in your life, and I get the sense 
you know, had a pretty good sense of who you are as a separate person. Even in that circumstance, uh, it sounds as if you still experience the loss of your husband as a loss of self. Well, I think that's that's true for everybody, regardless of the quality of their relationship. It is still a relationship, and grief is about what we remember of the experience of that relationship, and and so it's all stored in our memory. Mm. And so when the person isn't there anymore, it it does have a big effect on us. Regardless, now I have to say that people who have a soulmate relationship, I believe, have one of the hardest times with loss because when you're that connected to another person, you really do define yourself in terms of of the partnership, the couple, and it's it is a feeling that you've lost part of yourself. We talk about someone being lost. Well, the person who gets lost when a loved one dies, we are the ones who get lost. (laughs) Absolutely. Part of ourselves. You're reminding me of my my mother who was pretty fiercely independent, you know, kind of um, broke barriers by being an employed woman, you know, all, all kinds of very independent acts. And she, before my father died, would always say, you know, well, if I die, he's going to be completely up a creek. He's going to be lost, but I'll be okay. <laughs> and being in the field I'm in, I'd be oh, I'm, I can't, I can't deny it, but I don't think it's true. And when he died, she really fell apart, which, which also was a loss of identity, that she just didn't know how deeply impactful that would be for her as a person so she lost her sense of capability almost or her sense of of resilience or something you know she couldn't see herself the same way anymore so there's that part too that grief itself kind of rocks our assumptions doesn't it well our our mind sort of fools us and our and it's our memory that sort of fools us because Memory is constructed so that it can detect redundancy. So if we live with the same person every single day and we have that redundancy, we get used to it. It's sort of like if you eat the same meal every day for 30 days, it might taste good on day one, maybe on day two. But by day 30, you don't want it anymore. A little bored by or then. Or you're huh? so used to it. It's like, okay, I'm bored, you know, or I know this, so I don't need to experience it anymore. But if that person is gone, you know, or if that food is gone, you will miss it and you may have regrets. And and a lot of things will occur to you that would not have occurred to you while they are still there. So, you know, when we don't have that kind of redundancy day in and day out, uh, we, we really miss that person who is there and what we experience with them. And that's why many people have these regrets when somebody dies and say, well, if only I had done more with them or if, if only I had, you know, said I love them more. But you're fooling yourself because you don't have the redundancy and that's why you're thinking about it. 
And so it, it, you're also torturing yourself to think that way. It's not <laughs> Absolutely. Fair. But it's, it's interesting to me because I lived for almost a decade with somebody who was dying, actively dying, not in the final stage, but the doctors were perplexed. She was supposed to die, you know, after six months or a year. And it never, we never kind of got to redundancy. Does that make sense? Right. It was very alive for us the whole time that we would lose each other. And I've thought many times that that defined, you can't ever pull out all the parts, but that defined the level of presence we had, that we were Huge always about presence. to, uh, we were always about to lose each other, right? And um, interestingly, yeah. in terms of what you're saying, after she died, I didn't experience regret. No, I really did. Every single day you were grappling with how long do I have left with her? And I was doing, you know, I was acting on that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Every day. So I didn't, I, I regretted some, we had an earlier relationship. We were a return. I regretted not having been mature enough to continue the relationship the first time, a little bit. But it was kind of irrelevant. You know, we, we got back to each other. So I think that is a piece of it. If you have a way to refer to your connection and act on it, don't, don't you think it kind of takes the regret down? Your situation was unique in that every day, if not every moment, whether it was precious because you didn't know how long you had. Exactly. And so you were able to make the best of it. And that's a beautiful part. I mean, some people talk about when, if somebody goes through a long illness and then they die, uh, do you experience more or less grief? Well, I think it depends. It depends upon a lot of circumstances. <laughs> and just because somebody has a long illness doesn't make it any easier No, when they're gone. You may not have the regret if you uh, cherish every day and you have that in mind as you did, but it doesn't make it easier. Nothing makes it easier. Absolutely. And then I'm also for a a way to undo our feelings, and you know, uh, it doesn't work, does it? Negative feelings, (laughs) right? Or make them go away, and and sometimes. You know, negative emotions, there's nothing wrong with negative emotions. Um, In our society, we think we should be experiencing positive feelings all the time. And that's part of the misguidance uh, people take from the positive psychology movement. And it's not to say that negative emotions are bad. Both positive and negative emotions inform us. And that's their purpose. And so negative emotions inform us because they motivate us to do something to make them go away and positive emotions inform us by we want more of them so we try to do something to make more of them come back but (laughs) they're not good or bad it's not good or bad you know i i feel compelled to add a note about this you know uh, with each other every day kind of thing which is that it actually required to learn how to for me to learn how to sit with really difficult states of mind at first. Mm-hmm. Tons of anxiety and um, 
fear of the future and holding myself back. You know, I got some good help on how to not hold hold myself back in a in an ill conceived attempt to save myself from grief. Right. <laughs> um, there was a lot of work involved in that. We just had a very long time to do it. Is is what I would say, and it led to that sense of just being together. So I I don't want to make it seem like we just were aware that she would die and that solved everything. <laughs> Speaking no. of hard stuff, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so, and then did you feel? I mean, what do you think about the idea of meaning making then after somebody dies? Or well, I mean, the loss. obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, but my professional life and also my personal life, which which is separate from this show, very much formed around the meaning I made of that experience. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Why would I want to talk about loss and transformation you know, numerous hours a week. Why would I be a grief counselor? What, you know, <laughs> yes, lots of meaning. And sometimes it's more subtle, you know, um, people become the person that someone in grief calls on the phone, you know, for me, it's a career. So yes, absolutely. Right. Your show is a good example of, of meaning making and it, and it can give grief a purpose or your loss of purpose, or um, a value in some way, it doesn't make it go away. It's still there. But as you said earlier in the program, you get a certain amount of joy from the sharing that people do. And that's what's so wonderful. But Being able to use an experience is, is definitely uh, very important to me. Not just have remarkable. something hard happen, but use it what for some, something. What you're also doing, something. though, is you're also giving meaning to your life with your show and with what you do. For sure. And, and you as well, right? going on with our lives is so, it's so critical. Yes, yes I, you know, I don't know if you know the work of Francis Weller, but he talks about uh, the balance between grief and gratitude that... Mm too much grief we get bitter and and rigid and too much gratitude we get unreal um which i kind of like um but um i must say the balance point you know 26 odd years later is more towards the gratitude end in terms of having yeah. had the experience of being with her and learning what i learned and it's definitely skewed in that direction if that makes sense. And I think we, we also have to realize that after many years, your memory accumulates and stores all kinds of information you didn't have before. And that's what makes mm -hmm. a difference as well. It's not as yes. though the grief sure. is buried, but there's a lot more in your mind to think about that came afterward. You know, early on, there's nothing there, you know, except the loss, and then you start accumulating. But it's but the person we lost, I mean, memories are inside of us. The person is inside of us with inside the memory. And 
the best example is always, you know, Marcel Proust, who who wrote about uh, involuntary memory and taste sensation, where he's tasting a madeleine and a cup of tea, and he has this joyful feeling remembering his childhood and and tasting that madeleine and having the tea, and realizes that upon the next bite and the next, that it's not the madeleine itself or the tea, that the feeling is inside of him. It's in his memory. The joy is inside of him. And so our memory holds that joy that we experience with another person or with what we've done with them. And it's nice that we carry them with us. Nice is almost not big enough a word, is it? I'm right. <laughs> it's 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 really a monumental thing. Memory is such an amazing instrument, and we don't we don't make enough of memory, and we don't give it enough credit for all that we experience because of it. And so, for yourself, obviously, it's one thing to have. Uh, you know, lost your mother very young in the way that memory is at 11 and all of that, much, much, much different experience, I would assume, to be fully adult, have had a long relationship with your husband, and and then have him die. Um, are there differences in, in how you perceive the way you hold memory in those two d- very different experiences? You know, if I boil it all down just to the components of memory and how it makes one feel, no. It's in a child's mind, it's a little bit different than in an adult's. And certainly having the knowledge and experience and the, you know, education I have now makes a difference. But the process is the same. Hmm. It really is the same. Um, it's it's a different person, it's a different relationship, right? But the process of how it all happens and how it comes back up and and uh, what I do with it, I mean, it's it's pretty basic how memories and emotions work. I and mean, once you figure that part out, you could see how all these pieces fit. But how you feel, you know, grief grief is about what we remember of the individual experience, what we remember of our experience with that person, and the experience we have with that person is unique. So it's different in that way. The experience I had with my mother is certainly different than the experience with my father or my husband or anybody else right. I've lost. Absolutely. But what you're saying, although we can't ever figure out which part is what, right? <laughs> you know, which part is the different relationship or the di- different age, or, it's all a process of um, reference to the experience inside of us and the memories inside of us, if I understand sure. you. I'm, you know, it used to be that if I walked into a flower shop, I would feel suffocated. Now that was related to my mother, because at my mother's memorial, her funeral, 
the smell of flowers was so strong, I felt suffocated. And it took years and years for me to start appreciating this, the smell of mm. flowers when it was so, you know, condensed like in a, a little flower shop. And eventually I did. And I did so because um, I became very close friends with a woman who owned a flower shop. <laughs> and uh-huh. You might so have never had to get friends. over that if you hadn't, huh? Just not be a flower person. (laughs) So the association with the smell of flowers was to this became to this friend, not just my mother's funeral and and loss. You know. So so I think as we accumulate more memories, things change. Things change, but you're also maybe talking a little. And it's time for another break, but we can come back to this. Maybe talking a little bit about how two events happening together the loss of your mother and flowers can be a traumatic trigger or a, you know, a grief trigger. Um, Would you have hated flowers if you walked into a flower shop with someone who was funny, you know, who knows, but I'm interested in what you think about that. So let's come back to that after the break. Uh, you can you can find me at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief Host page. There's links to everything on that page. And to find Mary Lamia, go to M-A-R-Y-L-A-M-I-A.com. Back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Mary Lamia about her book, Grief isn't something to get over. And before the break, Mary, um, we, we were kind of touching on, you were talking about the association between the flowers at your mother's funeral and, you know, and, and really hating the strong smell of flowers and how um, in the course of making friends with someone who had a flower shop, uh, the way you described it is it added memories to the point where you no longer had the same experience. But I also wanted to see what you think about the, um, you know, to me, the two things coincided and and kind of um, associated them. Uh, that's, to me, perhaps the way a child would throw the two things together, right? Flowers, and there, and more, funeral. My mother grew flowers too. She grew roses and many other kinds of flowers, and so I associated flowers with my mother. But the the, the scent of flowers at a funeral, her funeral anyway, was so strong, and and that always reminded me of 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 her funeral when I would go into a, a flower shop. But you know, there we have a. a Sort of the play of what we call constructive memory, and you know, memory pieces together little bits and pieces of stored information, and mm. and constructs something that I mean, we behave in certain ways because of aspects of our constructive memory, how things are put together in our mind, but those are influenced by our current knowledge and our current beliefs and the attitudes and experiences. So having to having having this friend who owned the flower shop and being in her flower shop frequently, um, you know, altered my response to that memory. And so mm-hmm. as we learn, as we grow, as we accumulate memories, the way in which a memory affects us can change. And that's absolutely no, definitely. And then I'm also thinking about the way in which, and I'll bet you have this um, experience with your clients. I do with mine, where um, people have avoided a certain thing because they associate it with a painful thing in the past, uh, and they and they become a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I guess, atrophied. So how would you say, you know, in this case, you were motivated by wanting to be with your friend and you, I'm sure, had to hang in that at first it wasn't entirely pleasant to be in her flower shop. Am I correct about that? Um, Right. But there were ways in which it was pleasant because I had so many pleasant memories of my mother and flowers and tending the flowers with her. So it was a mixed memory. It was it was painful, um, suffocating, and it was also pleasurable. You know, mm-hmm. so I both loved and hated those flowers. Uh-huh. 
Do so you don't seem, you know, you've written a bunch of books on emotions and how to be with them. You've written a book on grief. You don't seem to be inclined to to any great or overwhelming degree avoid your experiences, right? But so many people no. do. For instance, people who don't ever want to get involved again because they lost someone and it hurt so much, that kind of thing. And then uh, that can have negative effects, yes? How do well, you, you know, our, how can our, we use memory to go forward from really painful events? Our uh, cognitive system is designed to make sense out of our emotions and memories. And so it's memory, emotion, and cognition all put together that makes us function for the most part. There's also other aspects. But cognition can fool us because it, it rationalizes things, it justifies things, it tries to make sense out of things. And mm -hmm. so someone could say to themselves, well, I'm never going to get involved again. I'm never going to find another soulmate because I never want to experience this kind of pain. Well, that's misguided, and that's our cognition, just trying to make sense of how we feel and protect us. And so it comes up with this idea that we should never get involved again. So I think there are times when we have to pay attention to how we think and what we are thinking. And are we just making something up in our minds to help us feel better? Because that's what our brain wants us to do. So, uh -huh. you know, to, to have a little bit of humility about our thoughts and how we come up with things and our, our rational mind wants to make sense of what we feel, but we can misguide ourselves. Uh, gee, like I have I, noticed that. If I said that. I'm never going to be in a flower <laughs> shop again, that would be pretty silly. That, that would have been my it would be trying to make sense. And it would be... Saying, I'm going to protect you. You know, if, if I had gone that direction, I would not now have been remarried for 24 years. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> um, which would have been a great loss in my life, uh, for sure. But there were painful aspects of walking past, uh, you know, the first year or two, um, once you know what it is to lose your your partner, your spouse, um, it, it wasn't lost on me that could happen again. I had to get what? through a period of, you know, realistic acknowledgement that, that it was scary as well as wonderful. And you must have had hope that things could be different and why in the book the way I do with the idea of hope because our what we call episodic memories help us dream and plan and have hope and they put all that's in our memory they project it into the future they sort of mentally we mentally time travel into the future with hope that we think about how things can be different and how we can learn from our challenges mm -hmm. and how maybe we can trust that things could be different or that good feelings are still possible. I completely agree with that. And, and I think there was another aspect too, which was that 
that depth of love with another person was more beautiful than the loss was painful. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That, that um, I didn't want to, and she didn't want me to, for that matter. I, I had clear directions for post her death, um, which helps. But um, I wouldn't want to, I was 40, 42. You know, it was, it was hard to imagine that I wouldn't take that chance again, even if it didn't come out well. Right. And that it would never be like her, like your relationship was with her. It would be different. Different, absolutely. Which is, which is why I often tell people who get involved with somebody who, for example, has children or had children with a partner, to, to help those children honor their lost parent, that it's not a competition. I mean, there is no relationship is different. It, it's really not like divorce, for instance. No, <laughs> no similarity. Like I've I've done both. <laughs> no similarity, and and I agree with you. I think that's a very important aspect that um, they exist. The two relationships exist parallel in some sense. Obviously, daily well, life is with the living it- person. It, it takes so much love to, to say, like, to somebody like you, for your, your current partner to say to you, oh, you know, next week is the anniversary of the loss of, you know, your partner, and let's do something to honor that. I mean, that's love. Yes, I mean, it, it kind of does um, favor maturity also. Maturity, it might be a better word. in the new partner, right? Which is not, yes. which is, which is not nothing. That's very, that's very um, appreciated on my part. You know, well, you for someone to be able to. Person. What's that? You can't compete with a dead person. No, and there's really not a competition. Of course, over the years, the amount of of time has actually been exceeded, right? <laughs> so that's a right. whole other thing. Maybe that's another show, Mary. <laughs> I want to thank you for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed it as well, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You can find Mary Lamia at marylamia.com. Next week, I'll have Sherry Barch, author of Heaven's Bell, which is intended to open up conversation between members of a family of all ages about hard stuff, illness, death, grief, the works. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.